Welcome to Everything Imaginable, a podcast for curious minds. KGRA Radio. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. My name is Gary Cacciolillo, your host, and today we have a special guest, Lon Milo Duquette. Thank you for being on the show. Well, thanks for inviting me on, Gary. Um, so you have uh, quite a background um, in the occult, especially. I know you've written 19 books. Um, I know I first started reading you when I was um, looking for books on Enoki, and your, your, your books on Enoki and magic were the only ones that I could kind of understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that, I guess that's flattering. It is, because um, the so many other stuff was just oh, it just went over my head. I guess we could say, um, and I know that you've written some books too on Kabbalah, and that's why I asked you to come on. Uh, I've probably read probably maybe ten book, the ten different books on Kabbalah in my life, and I'd have to say I'm still confused. Well. <laughs> Well, good, because you really have to uh, be suspect of somebody that brags that they understand. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, but w- would you be able to maybe explain the, the basic tenets of Kabbalah to my listeners? Well, there's a couple uh, uh, generic kind of definitions of it. And the, and the first one is it's... Uh, uh, esoteric Judaism, or the the esoteric uh, or the the mystic uh, uh, side to the Jewish traditions and the Jewish Jewish religion. So right. that that's the Kabbalah that you usually see uh, written about, uh, spelled with a K and two Bs. Uh, that kind of Kabbalah. So it's. Uh, like the mystical uh, side of every uh, uh, exoteric religion, uh, like mystic Christianity or mystic Judaism or mystic uh, uh, Islam, uh, over the over the years and over the centuries, it, it drops in and out of uh, of orthodox favor. favor. Uh-huh. So, about every other couple hundred years, it's, it seems heretical. And about every other uh, 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 cycle, it seems like the, the, the mystical heart and soul of the, of the religion. Is but, it in well, favor or out of favor right now? There you go. Just like, uh, uh, well, y- you see the same thing in, in certain uh, Christian orders, too, that... Uh, Every once in a while, they completely drop out of favor and are considered heretical and satanic. And then <laughs> 20, 20 years later, they're, you know, they're the heart and soul of the, of the faith. So, uh, so that's uh, the first sort of generic thing. But uh, Kabbalah itself, as, uh, as a technique, as a meditative technique, as a technique for self uh, transformation, uh, 
it it's not a religion and it's not a belief system. It's it's a way of uh, uh, organizing uh, one's thoughts uh, and sort of organizing the, the the universe in such a way as as you eventually find your own place in it. And uh, uh, I like to draw the parallel or the contrast between Eastern mystics uh, like yogis and, and Zen meditation type uh, uh, people, Hindu uh, 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 mystics, uh-huh. is they, they go inwardly, they, they quiet everything and they go inwardly and kind of systematically strip away all the things that they're not, you know, I'm well, I'm not really my body. And uh, if I really get thinking about it, I, I'm not really my mind either. And when I really get thinking about it, I'm, I'm not my emotions. And when I, you know, and they, they systematically uh, strip away everything they're not. And then and what happens when there's, there's nothing, nothing left? left? Yeah, there's, there's nothing left. <laughs> and that nothing is what we are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, and, and that's that's where the light bulb, you know, really goes off uh, over their heads, and they go, "Oh wow, that's what I am. That's what God is. That's what uh, that's what reality is." And so that's the the Eastern approach. And for uh, more or less for the the Eastern temperament, I I don't want to just generalize. Uh, uh, too awfully much here, but for the Eastern temperament, uh, they're they're sort of uh, hardwired to be at ease with that approach. But in the West, we're, in the West, we're not okay. We we seek externally mm-hmm. everything, okay, uh, uh, and. Uh, so it's not that the external and the internal aren't the same thing, uh, because they are from the big mystical point of view. Uh, in a sense, there is no outside of ourselves because everything that we perceive that's outside of ourselves, we have to process <laughs> that that information inside. So we may as well right. see the outside as the inside. And uh, but in the West, we, we're really uncomfortable with closing our eyes and going inside because it's so damn big. Uh, so we like to take all of these inner things and make symbols on the outside of ourselves to, uh, uh, to symbolize, to represent these inner qualities. And so the, the Western mystic, instead of stripping everything away, uh, until we find out everything that we're not, and then we discover who we are. The Western mystics just love outside things. We like to connect everything in the universe with everything else. And basically, that's kind of the Kabbalistic technique. The Kabbalists systematically go about connecting everything in the universe with everything else until there is nothing left to connect. And, and they hit this divine fullness. And uh, 
And in that divine fullness, you know, everything's transcended. The, the body's transcended, the mind's transcended, the emotions are transcended. And they hit the exact same spot that the Eastern mystic hits by going inwardly and stripping away all the things they're not. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I've never really thought of it that way. Because um, I've practiced both myself and, and definitely like, like, you know, Buddhism and meditation is what sort of like really has clicked with me. Um, but prior to that, when I was younger, you know, I had started reading tarot cards when I was a kid. And I had a book. The last chapter of the book was on Kabbalah. And I remember reading it, and it kind of it's like, wow, that's really interesting because everything is coming and going from the same source. It's just like a bunch of different reflections, I guess it would be. And... Um, yeah, you hit the nail on the head when you said reflections, because that's that's the big Kabbalistic thing. Uh, they they set out by recognizing that everything in heaven and earth is connected to everything in heaven and earth, and that everything is uh, the reflection of everything in heaven and earth, and that that uh, everything in heaven and earth sets the pattern. For everything else in heaven and earth, just like, uh, uh, you know, you could theoretically have a piano <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that has 80 billion keys going almost infinitely high and infinitely low, but we still only have seven major notes to play with and, and 12, you know, uh, yep. we've only got octaves to play with. And so those octaves are repeating patterns. And so it's not until recently that uh, uh, people have really been enamored with this concept called fractals, uh, which is uh, uh, elegant mathematical repeating patterns, and that you can uh, actually uh, uh, sort of graphically uh, display those in beautiful, beautiful artwork with all of these sort of paisley repeating, repeating patterns that, that uh, just go on infinitely uh, outward and inwardly. Well, that is total Kabbalah right there. <laughs> and uh, the uh, ancient Kabbalists, uh, when I say ancient, uh, uh, let's say uh, uh, because the Greeks were playing with it even before the uh, uh, the Jews were playing with it, although they will argue with you about that. Uh, they uh, they immediately grasped the fact that all of this could be displayed and considered in mathematical terms. I mean, simple mathematical terms. Uh -huh. uh, the, and so the Greeks were the, were the first to really get behind uh, assigning numbers, number values to letters, letters of the alphabet. And uh, then along about the, the first century, or first or second century, I think, B.C., uh, uh, the Hebrew alphabet was starting to form along the same lines, uh, the Hebrew alphabet as we know it uh, right. today, which is relatively uh, 
a relatively young concept, actually. But the, uh, the idea being that part of these patterns and part of these uh, uh, vibratory patterns that keep repeating and replicating and, and uh, uh, reflecting each other uh, are most easily seen in mathematics. And, and when applied to an alphabet, that means every word you say has the same potential creative energy uh, going for it, creative vibratory uh, uh, note, if you will. Uh, that's basically holding the co uh, cosmos together. That's what uh, the, the big fascination uh, in uh, Genesis was uh, with the word. And, uh, you know, in the beginning was the word. Well, that, that word is that primal, uh, primal vibratory uh, uh, frequency that uh, is responsible for holding, creating, holding together and developing the universe. Would that be like the same as like the, um, like Om in the Hindu tradition? There you go. Absolutely. That's the, that's the big ohm, and, and you, uh, uh, like, uh, like most everything associated with Hindu mysticism, they get really scientific and anal retentive about how they dissect and, and uh, uh, analyze things. But uh, the Hebrew alphabet is, is breathtakingly, elegantly, and simply... Uh, uh, awesome in uh, the way it's uh, uh, developed and and uh, and utilized, and so with keeping that theory that uh, if you look hard enough at anything, you'll eventually see everything. Okay, which is so Buddhist. <laughs> <you know? laughs> it is very Buddhist. <laughs> uh, but they said, well, if you can, if you can look hard enough at anything, you'll eventually see everything. Uh, you know, the Buddhists say, you know, if you look hard enough at five pounds of flax or, or even, you know, dog excrement, you'll yep. be able, you'll, you'll see God in it, you know, eventually. And uh, so the, the ancient capitalist says, well, if that's true, then if we look hard enough at our main scriptures, the, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, if we just look hard enough there, we'll eventually see everything. And, and so they, they applied this alphanumeric uh, dissection of, uh, of the, the letters that went into making the words that went into making the sentences in uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and De Deuteronomy. Uh, and they just peeled back the layers of the universe uh, in, in awesome ways. Now, they could have been doing it with the phone book, <laughs> okay, but they didn't. They did it with something that they already held in mystical uh, uh, awe. But the technique of doing that is universal, and it is not necessarily connected with any faith or any religious doctrine or dogma or tradition. 
and that same those same Kabbalistic techniques can be applied to literally everything. And that's what the Hermeticists of the, of the pre to Renaissance uh, uh, time period, uh, the Europeans uh, that fancied themselves Christian mystics, they started to pick up on that. And those are the same people that were applying those Kabbalistic techniques of mind expansion, I guess we could say that, they were applying those techniques of mind expansion uh, to other forms of psychodramas uh, to, uh, uh, to further their, their own enlightenment. And one of those techniques of psychodrama was ceremonial magic. So that's where um, all the secret handshakes and mantras and um, all that stuff kind of comes from? The different body positions? Yes. Not only that, but that, uh, uh, you know, I don't, just don't want to keep throwing wild things into the mix here, but that my life is... Uh, one nonstop series of throwing wild things into the mix. Uh, the Egyptian Book of the Dead uh, set uh, was a, a magical text, and it was a magical text that you could you could uh, apply toward uh, guiding a person who was uh, uh, peacefully dying, mm -hmm. uh, guiding them through the different phases of the death coma and uh, doing it in such a way as to uh, ideally uh, retain the consciousness of the continuity of their own existence as they lost their body, as they lost their, their uh, mind, as they lost their emotions, uh, and they lost all the things that they weren't but it was a technique to hold on to what they really were. And uh, uh, the technique of that was to uh, uh, pass through different doors, systematically pass through different doors and memorize certain things to keep, uh, uh, keep uh, the mind uh, going as, as, uh, long as possible, uh, and each one of those doors re required a secret password, and you had to identify the name of the guardian of the door and everything else. In other words, it kept a dying person concentrated and focused on the process of passing through one barrier after another barrier, after another, and it kept them busy as they were dying. Now, most people just sort of lay back and groove out mm -hmm. <laughs> on the experience and more or less dissolve into the large energy matrix of the right. cosmos, okay? But people trained in this method actually, uh, or theoretically, maintain their their sense of individuality, their personality. They 
they eventually identify with the consciousness of the continuity of their own existence. And, and the, the mystery schools of the, uh, that had their, their foundation in uh, Babylon and, and uh, the Sumerians and uh, uh, most colorfully the Egyptians and the Greeks with their Eleusinian mysteries and the, the mystery schools became actually the, the high-tech end, the high-tech strata of religious uh, observances. And uh, the, the mystery schools, uh, uh, the most uh, visible today is the, the Freemasons, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, you can, you can laugh and say the Freemasons just drive these funny little cars around in parades and stuff. <laughs> but the, and the uh, most, I would say most uh, uh, Freemasons are, are touched in a positive way by the experience, but they could care less about the, the more esoteric uh, uh, aspects of, of uh, what's happening to them and what they've done and, and such. Uh, but uh, for someone that's interested in the historical uh, aspects of uh, mystery schools and magical initiation, recognize in, in Masonic initiation rituals uh, a high level of, of uh, initiatory technology uh, that's going on. Now, I wouldn't be able to convince my dad that uh, that's what was going on. And I don't need to, okay? I, I didn't need to. He's mm-hmm. long passed away. But uh, uh, there's a thing with masonry. They, they say uh, masonry makes a good man better. Right. And, uh, you know, I agree with that because uh, you could still be an asshole and be a Mason, okay? But you'd be a much bigger asshole, I believe, if you weren't a Mason. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I can say that on your... Absolutely. (laughs) But anyway, that's what... uh, that's why ceremonial magicians, especially those that uh, sort of set their foot upon the path of the great uh, 19th century initiatory magical orders like the Golden Dawn, uh, Ordo Templi Orientis, and Crowley's AA. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Kabbalah is more or less uh, the language we can use to uh, communicate to each other. Uh, we uh, we view the v- different frequencies of consciousness uh, uh, between our heads and, and Godhead. Uh, we we view them like uh, like they're landmarks on this Kabbalistic tree of life. So it, it gives us a, a way to at least conduct conversations about what it is that we're doing. And uh, so uh, Kabbalah becomes uh, uh, an almost indispensable tool for uh, modern Western ceremonial magic. I think where it always confused me is when it came, like once I understood, like you know, there's there's ten sephiroth, 
and 22 pass connecting them. Then all of a sudden, like, there's all these other correspondences that get involved. Like, you know, each path is assigned a different tarot card, and, and it just goes on and on, like, forever. And then if yes, you go and read, you, then you go and read somebody else's book, and they completely change it all around. Yeah, that's very helpful, isn't it? Uh, it drives me nuts. <laughs> uh, well, my, uh, you know, I won't argue with you on about that. But uh, when it comes right down to it, uh, we're dealing primarily with just those numbers. Uh, the, but look at it this way. There's a singularity, uh, well, uh, quantum physicists are saying what mystics have said since prehistoric times. Everything is consciousness. Matter, energy, time, space, everything is an aspect of consciousness. Now, you can personify that conscious, that the, the, the supreme totality of whatever that is, you can personify it because our brains, you know, cry out to personify stuff. Uh, you can personify it as God. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm comfortable using the, the, the term God because I really don't have an anthropomorphic uh, I'm not tied to an anthropomorphic uh, or a sectarian view of uh, of what God is. To me, God is just the big whatever it is. But you don't know exactly what it is. It's just some kind of consciousness that we can't really understand. Well, it's it, 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 just imagine if you could just back up your camera to get a wide enough camera angle where there is nothing else in the universe left okay that that one big whatever it is is god it's the huge singularity beyond which there is nothing and the kabbalists have wonderful ways of talking about that nothing too but but let's say the entire totality of existence and being, everything is all lumped up into one big thing, and there is no outside of that thing. Right. Okay. Okay. And if we could somehow plug our machine into a meter into that machine, it's vibrating like one single note. It's beyond which there are no other notes. It's a big hum. And now we get back to that ohm thing. You know, one of the things I noticed in your book um, is in the beginning, you mentioned uh, Yogananda. And in his autobiography, he describes God as sort of like a great cosmic dreamer. Perfect. I love Yogananda too. I do too. Yeah. He was my gateway drug. <laughs> That's what started it all for you? 
Uh, pretty much so. Him and Yogi Ramacharaka. I love that. That's great. Yeah. And I wouldn't have been introduced to either one of them had I not been introduced to a, a pretty big dose of LSD. Can't go wrong with that either. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> let's go with uh, Yogananda's thing there because it's perfect. But it does personify God a little bit, but it's, it's charming. It is. It's, God, it's is nice. big, God is the big dreamer, okay? He doesn't have a roommate, or it doesn't have a roommate. <laughs> okay, there is no opposite to this big dreamer, okay? So there can't be a devil. There can't be the opposite. Uh, uh, if the big dreamer is good, it's a good that is so big there isn't an evil to oppose it. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. The big G good. Yeah. God's the big dreamer. Okay. I don't know why, but let's let's just go with this. Uh, for some reason, God says, I'm kind of lonely. What if I fall asleep and dream I go on an, a little adventure? Okay. Mm-hmm. And because God's God, it, God can do that. So it falls asleep and dreams it has an opposite. It dreams of number two. And it, ha it has sort of an adventure. It goes on like that. And it goes on, uh, that dream goes on for, you know, a couple of billion years. And then... He wakes up again and goes, oh, that was kind of interesting. <laughs> okay. I got an idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall asleep and dream that I'm number two again. And then it'll even be more fun if I fall asleep as number two and dream I'm number three. And I'll go on an even longer dream. Yeah. But, but it takes... It takes longer for number the number three dreamer to wake up to realize it's it's number two, just dreaming it's number three, and it takes a little while for number two to dream to wake up and realize it's number one, but it does uh-huh and then finally, after that, God says that was very entertaining. Wow, you can imagine all of the things I did when I was opposite myself. And then when there was a synthesis, that was absolutely fun. I could be a mother and a father and, a, and, and all of that stuff. And then he said, God says, it would really be an adventure if I would just fall asleep and totally forget I'm God. And so it goes back into number two, goes back into number three. Number three falls asleep, and all of a sudden, pop, 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 dreams it's number four, <laughs> number five, number six, number seven, number eight, number nine. And then finally, in number nine, it finally hits its head 
in the dream number nine and has total amnesia and and lands in the dream within a dream within a dream within a dream within a dream of number 10. And that's where we are. That's you and me talking to ourselves right now. We are that number 10 dreamer. Wow. And, the, and the Kabbalists uh, project that off on this diagram that they call the tree of life, which has these 10 sephirah. And each of them is a deeper dream, a deeper layer of dream. And the, and the goal of the Kabbalistic initiate, the goal of the ceremonial mag magician is to wake up until you realize that your center of consciousness is in number nine, and then wake up from number nine to realize your center of consciousness is number eight and seven, and six, and five, and four, if that makes sense. Yeah, so you just keep waking up from one dream into the next dream until, that, you, until eventually you wake up yes. and you're the original dreamer, which is God. That's right. And that's what Buddha said. Buddha said, hey, you know, you, anybody can do this. I didn't do, I didn't do anything. I just woke up. Yeah. And that's, and that's that. So remember when I said the Kabbalists were uh, really anal retentive and, and love to, to dissect and re-dissect things? They connected these 10 levels. And this is all set out in the most primary little, tiny little uh, Kabbalistic book called the Sefer Zira, which is the oldest Kabbalistic uh, text. It's really small. You can put it in the bathroom and read it in two bowels. <laughs> the, these 10 layers, they created the Deccan, the, the, the numbers one through 10. After that, they just start repeating. Uh, but these 10 Sephiroth or emanations or dream layers are connected by 22 paths. And these paths are like uh, electrical wiring. And they do, they run an alternating current. Uh, there's, a, there's a wire running from 10 to nine, uh, and it steps up. It's, they're like little train transformers of your, your toy train transformers. Mm -hmm. uh, they either step up the, the uh, frequency of consciousness as they move from the lower Sephiroth to, the, to a higher one, or step down the uh, consciousness uh, frequency, uh, going from nine to 10. And, and there's 22 of those, and those are uh, uh, applied to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And each of those little paths, those little transformer connecting paths, represents the specific aspect of intelligence. And, and they've got uh, these aspects of intelligence are, are uh, referred to in all sorts of ways that just, it's really hard for you to make scintillating intelligence, mm -hmm. radiating intelligence. 
And you really got to put on your thinking cap and get out of your meat brain enough to sort of intuit exactly what, uh, why they are labeled as such. So, so to help you do that, those Hebrew letters and those paths are also assigned an image uh, that, uh, that, you, that you can look at in the right hemisphere of your brain sort of uh, uh, gets the information through colors and forms and, and such. And those images are the 22 uh, tarot uh, cards of the greater arcana of the tarot. Yes, that's how I became originally familiar with all of this. Yeah, that's how most people yep. do. And, and uh, whether you know it or not, uh, all those uh, years that uh, <laughs> you spent uh, getting, getting familiar with it, you were also, without you knowing it consciously, you also were programming the tree of life within yourself uh, that is the reflection of this big whatever it is tree of life because we are a reflection of this. So you didn't waste one minute in your Kabbalistic studies. Every moment that you spent in your Kabbalistic studies was like squirting WD-40 into your rusted machinery, Kabbalistic machinery <laughs> of your own soul. Uh, I still feel pretty rusty, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, you feel rusty till you remember how rusty you were two years ago. <laughs> is, is like when people, when you extend the tree of life, like try to get, go through these different dream layers, do you have to follow each specific path? Or can you take a shortcut straight up the middle? You can take a shortcut straight up the middle. It's like, how, how hard can you wake up? Okay. Sometimes you have, have a, a dream. You're, you're deeply asleep at night and, and you're having a dream. And um, uh, usually in, in this case, you might be having an unpleasant dream but you're deeply asleep. Maybe you've eaten too much quiche that night. Just your, your body is just exhausted trying to digest that quiche. Quiche gets me every time. Uh, and, uh, but you're, you're just miserable in this dream. Uh, and, uh, and somehow or other, you get yourself to wake up from that dream. But without you knowing it, you're still in a dream, but you had woken up from the, from the, the really bad one. So okay. something a little bit better? <laughs> yeah, this, one, this one's a little bit better, you know. I'm only late to catch a plane. Uh, but uh, the, still, you wake up again to finally... Uh, uh, you find yourself laying in bed. That's just sort of a, an analogy of uh, what all of this is. So if you could imagine uh, waking completely up from, uh, from your terrible, terrible dream and just skip all the middle dreams in between, you can do it. 
absolutely you can do it. As a matter of fact, uh, as a matter of fact, because uh, ultimately there is no time uh, when you do finally wake up, uh, it feels like that's the way it happened. One <laughs> <laughs> um, of the books that I've read is um, Israel Regardi's Middle Pillar. Is that kind of like a shortcut? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's the use of the... Uh, of the middle pillar, uh, but it uses the dynamics of, of the two pillars on each side of it. Right. So it's, uh, uh, it's a high technology uh, uh, ritual, and uh, it really does use that. I tried it once, and I couldn't sleep for two days. Well, <laughs> you like me and get some writing done at night. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how you read all your books? <laughs> <laughs> to tell you the truth, I don't know how I write all my books. <laughs> um, so have you, have you ever um, met any of the members of the Golden Dawn, like Israel Regardi or Dion Fortune or Alistair Crowley? Uh well, uh, Israel Regardi, or Francis Regardi, uh, I knew, uh, uh, I not only met, but we were, we were pals. Oh, that's um, great. Because he was just down the street here, uh, oh, up the road, I, I guess, Studio uh -huh. City for a long time. And uh, around 1978, I was introduced to him. Uh, uh, by uh, Grady McMurtry and Phyllis Seckler uh, of the OTO. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was very supportive of our, of our lodge and donated uh, books to our library. And, and uh, when we first met, we uh, discovered that we were both uh, Demolay. That's the Young Men's Masonic Organization. Uh-huh. And he was an old D-Malay, and I was a young D-Malay. And uh, we gave each other the secret handshake and <laughs> all of that. But anyway, uh, at the time, both of us, uh, uh, because of, I was an OTO lodge master in Southern California, and because he was Israel Regardi, uh, we both had letters from people that believed that they were the reincarnation of Aleister Crowley. Uh-huh. And as you can imagine, some of these were pretty funny. <laughs> and some of them were just sad, you know. Right. But uh, he, had a, he had a collection of them, and I had a collection of them. And uh, we had uh, started to compile them, uh, and we were going to write a book together. And it would have been my first... Uh, uh, first significant book, uh -huh. and we were going to call it Lieber Nuts. <laughs> and uh, he, from time to time, he would send me off on strange little uh, 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 book launches. Another Crowley incarnation was launching a book somewhere in Southern California, 
and he said, oh, you got to go check this, this one out. It'll be for our book. And uh, those were kind of fun. And he also sent me on um, uh, other little, uh, little errands that I write about in uh, my book, My Life with the Spirits. Uh, because I was, I'm a, uh, I guess you could call me a wandering bishop. Uh -huh. I, have, I have apostolic uh, uh, credentials that, uh, you know, are recognized by uh, anybody that recognizes apostolic credentials, including Orthodox churches and the Roman church. Uh-huh. Uh, you don't have to be a Roman Catholic to be uh, recognized as an as a apostolic bishop. Uh, but anyway, he sent me on uh, one of his clients, uh, uh, her client, another, they're both psychiatrists, psychologists. Uh, her client needed an exorcism, and he thought, because I was a bishop, I was just the guy for it. <laughs> Yes, I knew Rigardi uh, uh, well. I'm very sad that uh, that he's gone. Yeah, he died in '85, and uh, but Crowley died uh, months before I was born, and uh, I never met him. But uh, my uh, AA uh, uh, superior or my AA mentor. It was uh, Phyllis Seckler, who is the student of uh, Jane Wolfe, who lived with Crowley at uh, the Abbey of Thelema in uh, Sicily in the 1920s. Mm -hmm. And uh, all my OTO initiations until he died was uh, given by uh, Grady McMurtry, uh, who was made ninth degree and uh, stayed with Crowley uh, during World War II. Uh, in, in England, and uh, uh, another dear friend of the family, I couldn't say that she's my magical mentor, and I think it was Helen Parsons Smith, who was uh, the widow of Jack Parsons, who uh, uh, the recent television series Strange Angel was about uh, her husband, uh, Jack Parsons, the rocket scientist, uh -huh. and... Uh, so, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to just accidentally fall uh, into the, the circle of the last, you know, surviving early <laughs> <laughs> contemporaries, I guess. And uh, uh, they were remarkable people, for sure. And uh, I don't think, you know, I'd be into what I'm into without their influence. Oh, absolutely. There's always, I think, like, I don't know what the furthest back. I mean, I've read um, Elifus Levy's books, and I think Crowley said he was a reincarnation of him, didn't he? Uh, well, yeah, they, uh, uh, Crowley uh, uh, died or, or Levy died before Crowley was born. Uh, but yet we have to take these things, and even Crowley mm -hmm. cautioned you, uh, 
to take reincarnations uh, uh, sort of with a, with a grain of salt in so much as, uh, uh, you know, when you fall asleep, how time doesn't exist? Yes. Okay. Well, when you're dead, time doesn't exist either. Right. <laughs> and it, it could get really screwed up. So I, I think you... Uh, I, th I believe in reincarnation, don't get me wrong, but I don't think it is as linear and as simple and cut and dried uh, as people would uh, prefer to think it is. Because uh, when you pull time out of the equation, you're screwing with a whole bunch of things. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you imagine that maybe you've lived... Uh, uh, 10,000 incarnations, but also throw in the fact that they're all happening simultaneously, then you realize how complicated the situation can be. <laughs> I was just having this conversation last night with a friend of mine about that. Yeah, well, uh, but yeah, Crowley also said that if you have a real good reason to think that you are continuing the work. If you're continuing the great work of a historical character, go ahead and just make it a reality in your mind that you're the reincarnation of that person. He said, it's okay. Nobody can prove it any other way. If you really <laughs> think you're, you're uh, uh, continuing the, the momentum set into motion by uh, being Cleopatra, then go ahead and be Cleopatra, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so uh, Crowley uh, said, yeah, I am continuing the work of uh, Eliphas Levy. Uh, I'm continuing the work of uh, uh, Edward Kelly. Uh, you know, and there, there's a, a whole bunch of other uh, uh, of other people that he said he's continuing the, the work of. Uh, and Levy actually took the, the concept of magic. He even redeemed the, gave legitimacy to the, to the art form, the spiritual art form of, of magic. And uh, he's one of my favorite, favorite writers. And yeah. uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, occultists, and I did. I absolutely adore Eliphas Levy, and so did Crowley. Yeah, I, I definitely. When I read his book, um, I think it was um, Transcendental Magic and Ritual. Yes, it, it just blew my mind so much, like how he knew what he knew before anybody else did. Not I mean, only that, but when you when you read him. It's as if he's telling you something that you always knew was yeah. <laughs> was right, you know, and he, and he does it so so pleasantly, even in translation. You know, it was Aleister Crowley that uh, did the translation of Transcendental Magic. Yeah, it's a great book. And I think Levy was died in eighteen seventy five, and Crowley was born in 1875. Hmm. 
And Levy, wasn't he also like the first person to connect the Hebrew letters to the 22 uh, tarot cards? Yeah. Uh, well, he's the first one that made that public. So, so other people knew, but he was the first one to let the cat out of the bag, basically. He, he let the cat out of the bag, but he, he did it in a, in a very fun way. Uh, obviously, it had always been, or it, for maybe a couple hundred years, uh, it had been sort of a, a hermetic and Rosicrucian secret, okay, that uh, the Hebrew alphabet was uh, uh, attributed to the, the tarot cards. Uh, uh, the Golden Dawn even kept it kept it secret, and that was, 18, you know, 1888. Uh, but, uh, and it might have been secret for all sorts of reasons, including the fact uh, of a, a great uh, portion of the populace of, of Western Europe was anti-Semitic. And uh, uh, it, it in any uh, given political environment in France or Germany or Bavaria or Russia, uh, uh, playing too conspicuously with the Hebrew alphabet uh, might bring you unwanted attention uh, to the authorities, not because of the mysticalness of it, but just because of the anti-Semitic uh, 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 persecution. Yeah. So, uh, but Eliphas Levy obviously was an initiate of one of these society cabalistiques. <laughs> and uh, so uh, he said right out, yes, the Hebrew alphabet. And so did, uh, so did uh, the, uh, the great American uh, mystic, uh, uh, Albert Pike, the great uh, Masonic mystic, uh, said the the Kabbalistic alphabet uh, was the was the tarot. Uh, but Levy did a couple of things. He made sure that you knew that all of the cards had uh, their uh, conspicuous association with the three primitive elements of air, water, and fire. Yes. And he uh, said that they had a conspicuous uh, relationship to the seven planets of the ancients. And they had a conspicuous uh, association with the 12 signs of the zodiac. Correct. And those are just how the Hebrew alphabet is split up into three yeah. mother letters, seven double letters, and 12 simple letters. But then, after telling you how elegantly the tarot is set up along those lines, where you could actually just look at that empress card and go, oh, that's Venus, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and look at the emperor and go, oh, that's Aries, and go look at the devil and go, oh, that's Capricorn. Even though he set you up to just look at the cards and figure those things out for yourself, he, when he published things, he put certain Hebrew letters totally out of whack. 
And that's where things get really confusing. <laughs> Conspicuously out of whack from, from, where, they, from where they are. And uh, almost as if he said, okay, I set you guys up to be great mystics and know this secret. Uh, but if you're actually going to earn this secret, you're going to have to figure, figure it out. Because <laughs> I'm going to screw with you uh, by by uh, attributing these things to it. <laughs> and the Golden Dawn did a good uh, uh, a good job at at uh, uh, mostly repairing that situation. <laughs> yeah, I, that's where I started to get confused because then all of a sudden it was like different schools of thought on what went where. Well, and, and, and there is, you know, and I'm not, I wouldn't get into a bar fight with you over if Saudi is the star or, or if, uh, uh, hey, uh, is the emperor or, mm. you know, excuse me, it's not, if you believe that, that you're right enough, there's no way I'm going to try to, there, in Kabbalah, infinite things can be simultaneously true. Right. I know that now, but I didn't know that in like my early 20s when I first started reading this stuff. Oh, no, me. <laughs> you know, I was like, what? <laughs> me either. And uh, in my books, uh, The Chicken Kabbalah and Son of Chicken Kabbalah, I more or less use the, the standard Western uh, 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 Golden Dawnish uh, way of looking at uh, at how they interpret uh, Sefriyet Zyra as far as the tarot cards and stuff are concerned. And I did it not so much to uh, uh, say that I I, I want to preach that doctrine, mm -hmm. but uh, to do sort of what Elvis Levy did. Well, this is the this is the information. This is the data. It's up to you to actually put, uh, uh, make the data make sense to you. But this is how most of the modern books now are uh, are handling it. And if you get another revelation as you uh, as you work, well, God bless you. You know, get your own revelation because uh, uh, you're never going to wake completely up by following somebody else's revelation. Right. And, I, and I've learned that as I've gotten older, you know, and, and reading lots and lots of books and trying different practices. But I have to say, when I was first starting out, <laughs> it was a oh, real head-scratcher. You just want to give up. Yeah. But when you look at the big picture, you know, it's not so much the accuracy is it's the meaning and the intent i think right all right and uh, uh you know even if there wasn't a uh, a planet mercury or a planetary sphere of mercury even if there wasn't an element uh one of the three uh uh primitive elements even if there wasn't a sign of the zodiac there would still be three. There would still be seven. Yes. And there would still be, be 12. 12. 
And, and it's the 3, 7, and 12 that we have to get actually reprogrammed with. That's the ultimate WD-40. If we got our three shit together, if we got our seven shit together, if we got our 12 shit together, we've got the entire Hebrew alphabet programming together too. <laughs> I guess this was easier for you because you're a musician. Uh, perhaps so. The, the, the seven, you know, seven actual notes, the 12 with the flats and the sharps. And... Right. Yeah. Not only that, but colors. Yes. So yeah. It's colors uh, and, and everything else. And everything else falls neatly under one of these categories. Everything. Do you From think people can elevate their um, consciousness simply by using sound and color? I hope so. I, I, uh, there's all sorts of Kabbalistic exercises that we do in Son of Chicken Kabbalah that require you to chant the right note using the right color, uh, with the, the right vowel sound using the right, uh, uh, right image. And uh, it's done with full intent to lubricate your psyche. So all we got to do is follow your instructions and enlightenment. Here we come. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> 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 we both wish. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're going to have to do all the work. All the work. Yeah. Does Kabbalah have... Um, not just ritualistic, um, you know, uses, but how about things just like in everyday life? Well, yes. Uh, let's say you've, you've got a, a, all of these correspondences and stuff running around in your brain since you're a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can't go in and out of a door without thinking about uh, the Hebrew letter Daleth and the Empress and, and the, the sphere of Venus. And I know that the sphere of Venus is directly opposite the sphere of, of uh, uh, Jupiter in the cube of, cube of space. And the, the elemental path of Mem uh, links those two together. Okay it becomes second nature. Okay, I head toward the door, I look out the window, which is hay, and the hay is my eye and everything. I, I don't consciously need to think about any of those things anymore or connect those things anymore. I just function within them. It becomes your everyday universe. The outside world, is the inside. I've got a tricycle that my Monday night class bought for me, an old man tricycle. <laughs> and I ride it around at night and I can't open the garage door without opening the mouth of Venus to pull my red Aries-like chariot, which is Chet in the Hebrew alphabet, out of the garage door and down the, and, uh, down the street um, every night about five o'clock. I did it earlier tonight, but <laughs> I'd go nuts if my conscious Ruwakian brain here 
was thinking door dollar that it doesn't think that anymore because you only think about that stuff in an almost uh, nightmarishly connected way to get over it. Uh-huh. Okay, to rise above it. Uh, I sort of joke in Chicken Kabbalah and uh, tells, tells you why, why are you doing all of this? Because you can connect everything in the universe with everything else, just like a schizophrenic person uh, out on the out on the street connecting everything with everything else uh and in a way uh cabalistic exercises uh is a socially acceptable and um and relatively harmless form of self uh, induced schizophrenia but it's not meant to enmesh you in connecting everything in the universe with everything else it's meant for you to rise above connecting everything in the universe with anything else. Your mind, your brain, your monkey chatter brain is something that needs, that you need to rise above. And one of the surest techniques of rising above it or forcing yourself to rise above it is to engage it intensely on connecting everything in the universe with everything else until you get so damn tired of the whole freaking mess that you go, oh. <laughs> you know, surrender to the, the uh, Neshama, as the Hebrews would say. That, that, that reminds me of like, one time I went on um, a three-day silent meditation retreat. And at, at the beginning of the retreat, the, the retreat leader said, you know, by the, probably by the end of the three days, your brain will just give up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and you automatically, you know, ha- have some higher viewpoint. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of what happens because your brain just wears itself down. It wears itself down. And and even if you, you rise above it just for a moment or a day or yep. an hour, you have succeeded in mutating yourself in a very good way. Absolutely. So it's, it's almost the same thing, but with using, you know, the symbols and numbers and the interconnectedness. Like there's no way out of that interconnectedness except to tire yourself out and sort of extend it for a little bit. Right. That's why my mythical rabbi, Rabbi Lamed Ben Clifford, that's my pen name. Oh, he went missing, right? Oh, he went missing, but uh, they found some of his goodies. <laughs> that's why there's son of Chicken Gabala. Uh, that's why one of his uh, mottos is, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't, you know, you're, don't worry about it. You're a chicken cabalist. You know? <laughs> don't worry about it. Yeah, I love the intro to your book about that. Oh, I had so much fun with both those books. That's awesome. Um, how about like the other forms of, of, of magic, like Enochian? Um, can people use like Enochian spirits to um, get something that they wish for in the material world? 
Well, you know, getting stuff that you wish for in the material world is more uh, appropriate to uh, Solomonic magic, which actually uh, uh, deals with the heavy lifting mm -hmm. uh, uh, things in the universe. Uh, and those, uh, those spirits are, are, uh, are, uh, they're like um, the roughneck crew of angels or spirits or demons. Uh, and they're, they got this bad reputation. Uh, well, because Solomonic magicians sometimes uh, find it easy to go completely mad. But um, they've got a bad reputation because unless they're actually controlled wisely, uh, they're sort of like uh, heavy construction machinery. Uh, a bulldozer can be very, very uh, helpful in... Uh, uh, with a skilled operator, uh -huh. uh, uh, you can help construct buildings and and uh, build roads and and uh, you can do all sorts of constructive things with a bulldozer. Uh, but if you just jump in, turn it on, uh, and and not control it, <laughs> you know, it'll run amok through the street. Yeah. The way I always understood it is like you really have to have a good rapport with your higher self before doing that. Yes, you have to have a rapport with your higher self. And uh, the idea being, uh, unless what it is that you're trying to achieve with the ceremony, uh, unless it is truly, truly, deep down inside, your will to do it unless it's truly uh, part of your karma, that it be done. That it's part of your great work, that it be done. Mm -hmm. And unless you have made a real solid connect, connection to that highest part of you that actually, actually is in touch with what is and is not in your best interest. In other words, if you haven't, haven't connected to your big whatever it is to find out if this uh, is truly what you want, then that heavy machinery is going to be turned loose uh, and run along the paths of least resistance in your ignorant mind and your ignorant life. But if it is part of your will, if it is part of uh, your great what it is that's in your best interest, then that heavy machinery can be awesomely helpful. Hmm. So it's, it's, not the, it's not the bulldozer that's good or evil. It's the bulldozer driver. And, uh, uh, but for actually getting stuff done on a material plane, it nonetheless is uh, probably the most uh, appropriate technique. Enochian magic deals with intelligences uh, as if there was an intelligence behind absolutely every force of nature, an intelligence behind every, every uh, 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 element, an intelligence behind, uh, behind every leaf. An intelligence right, so, so it's like consciousness, like a tree consciousness or rock consciousness and Correct. And, and 
uh, Enochian magic is great when the magician desires to connect with specific layers of intelligence. And those are most easily personified as angels. So angels are great to give you information about what they know everything about. And they're terrible about giving you information about something that they don't know anything about. <laughs> and the whole thing about the Enochian system and the seeming, seeming complexity of it is you figure out which one of those angels should know everything about what you need to know. And then it gives you a great, uh, simple and awesome technique to get in contact with that specific angel. So that's how you kind of break it down from the watchtowers and the colors and right. all that, that kind of stuff. Yeah, they, they help give you a, a nice roadmap to uh, uh, exactly what it is uh, you're aiming for. But those those angels are are, are more like uh, uh, they're total geniuses about what they know something about. They know everything about something, but they don't know everything about everything. And uh, the idea is that these are uh, segments and then sub-segments and sub-sub-sub-segments of, of intelligences. And uh, the magic of Nokian magic uh, comes from uh, not having the equipment and stuff like that, because the equipment's just, you know, wood and paper and stuff. It's The equipment's all inside you. Mm -hmm. And it's you locating which specific aspect of, of uh, your computer that has that, that bit of information. And so could a person do Enochian magic without a table of practice? Oh, shit, yes. Because that table of practice is a tough one to make. Oh, yeah. The, the thing is, uh, yeah, just like the tree of life uh, is the roadmap. It's not the journey. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, the Enochian equipment is just, just the roadmap. But you pretty much need to be familiar with the roadmap before right. you, you, you know, you start your road trip. I wonder if they'll ever come out with an Enochian GPS. <laughs> well, I got my ideas about that. You know, the, in Tarot, the, the aces and the princesses uh, represent, instead of uh, quadrants of time, like the, like the other th three chord cards pursuit and like the small cards, the 36 small cards, they all represent uh, degrees of the zodiac. But the aces and the princesses uh, represent quadrants of space. And uh, uh, it's roughly, you, you go to the North Pole in a helicopter and draw a line uh, that runs right down the middle of the Giza complex. And everything to the, to the right of that uh, is uh, uh, it goes Yodhe Vave. Uh, so there's tarot cards that, that act as uh, as a GPS, 
and that can be very helpful in tarot readings, uh, especially if people are saying, well, should I move to China or should I move to Berlin, you know? <laughs> That's great. Um, one last question. Um, the lesser ritual of the, uh, the lesser ritual of the pentagram. Yeah. Um, how important is it? How important is that? The practice, like as a beginner. Well, as a as a beginner, it's a place to start. Uh, if uh, uh, and it's a very very uh, little simple ritual. You know, you can do it in about uh, well five minutes takes, uh, but. What's really important about it, especially for the beginner, uh, because you know you're, you're not likely to uh, uh, get into any trouble doing it. You're not going to go crazy. You're not going to evoke the devil. You're not going to. Uh, but what it does do is teach you about seventy things all at once, and it uh, it helps you visualize. It helps to get you comfortable in operating on the magical plane. And it doesn't matter if you don't understand a damn thing mm -hmm. at first. Eventually, every time you draw a pentagram, you're seeing it in the air and you're creating it in the air. And, and uh, uh, you draw it in a specific way. And eventually, you'll find out why you're drawing it in that direction. But at first, you're just sort of doing it to, to memorize it in the same way as an actor would uh, go through the basic blocking of a scene. But after a while, when uh, on the other side of that imaginary pentagram that you've just drawn, and you'll say before me, Raphael, and, and you'll get used to visualizing uh, an angel in those quarters. Mm -hmm. And you don't even know, you don't need to know why you're even doing that, okay, at first. But your imagination builds a vessel, builds a, a, a form, builds a thought form for after a while when you start to actually realize the wondrous energy and forces that are represented by Raphael, then those forces have a body to pour themselves into. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, like an astral body. And so uh, what starts as a very, very simple ritual turns into a ritual. You may never want to do any other, you may never need to do any other ritual besides just continuing to perfect the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram. But once you've done that, then you realize, oh, not only can I clear my, my uh, temple space here, I've just created a vacuum. I've created a magical vacuum. I've created a universe, a universe that is totally empty, unless I want to put something in it. 
And then you learn how to invoke special things back into your universe. And then it becomes just awesomely cool. <laughs> That's great. That's the one, the one uh, ritual that I'm actually familiar with other than the middle pillar exercise. Oh, well, it's a, it's a, it's a good one. Definitely. Um, thank you for being on my show and taking the time to, to talk with me. Well, you bet. Thanks for inviting me on. And uh, uh, I told you I wouldn't be sensational. And uh, I'm not a sexy guest. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't think so. <clears throat> you're, not, you're not viewing yourself from that higher realm <laughs> if i was really awake i'd know how sexy i was <laughs> that was great it's i'm really surprised to hear back from you it was honored speaking with you tonight well the honor and pleasure was all mine so <laughs> good luck to you you too thank you very much have a great evening sir you too thank you bye-bye Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. Please like and review this podcast on whatever platform you are using. It helps this podcast move up in the ranks and easier for people to find. Also, tell your friends, family, co-workers, and even that weird uncle. Which I would be that weird uncle. If anyone wants to be a guest, you can email me at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My website is www.everythingimaginable2020.com and Patreon is patreon.com forward slash everythingimaginable. You can make a donation to support this podcast. Remember, everything that is was first imagined. Thank you for listening and see you next week. You know, yes, you can also buy my book, Enlightenment Guarantee, the only book on Zen you'll ever need. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, and paperback.